This is the last session for this weekend, and I hope you've been helped, uh, been convicted, but also been challenged and encouraged uh, with our time so far. The third lie I want to address is the lie that says, I can prepare for eternity later. And I'll explain as, as, uh, as we go what I mean by that. I can prepare for eternity later. That's the lie that we want to address this morning. J.C. Ryle was a pastor from the 1800s, so long, long time ago, before my time, before Mr. Plummer's time, long, long time ago. He was a pastor back then, and he wrote a book titled Thoughts for Young Men. Okay? Uh, I highly encourage you to read that. Even if you're, even if you're a young lady, you should read it. Uh, my wife is reading it right now. Uh, really good biblical principles for, for all of us. And, and he, he had the same concern for the young people in his church. He had young people in his church, and he, had, and he was concerned that a lot of them are starting to believe that they can prepare for eternity later. He didn't want them to believe this lie, so here's what he said. Listen as I read. Young men, it is appointed for you to die, and no matter how strong and healthy you may be now, the day of your death is perhaps very near. I see young people sick as well as the elderly. I bury youthful corpses as well as the aged. I read names of persons no older than yourselves in every graveyard. And yet, you live as if you were sure that presently you will never die. Young men, your time is short. Your days are but a brief shadow, a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Your bodies are not made of brass. Your health may be taken from you in a moment. It only needs an accident, a fever, an inflammation, and the worm would soon feed upon you in the grave. There is but a step between you and death. This night, your soul might be required of you. And then he says this, I fear you be hurried out of this world, talking about death, and then awake to find out too late that death and judgment are real. I fear, he says, all of this, and therefore I exhort you. Students, I have the same concern for you. Your leaders have the same concern for you. Your parents definitely have the same concern for you. We don't want you to believe this lie that just because you're young, you'll live forever and just because you're strong that you can just do whatever you want and be fine and just because you're not old yet that you will have plenty of time to deal with eternity questions about eternity questions about your soul that you have time and many chances and opportunities to come to do that no we don't want you to believe that you don't have plenty of time to get right with God and prepare for eternity. You need to address this issue now. So what I want to do this morning in this last session is give you five sobering truths, okay? And I'm calling these truths sobering because I want you guys to listen to these truths, to listen to these passages and be sobered, okay? That your mind is no longer all about youthfulness and and, um, and the things of the world and the present age that you would be sobered up 
as we go through these truths in, in, in these passages so that hopefully it'll get your attention. Hopefully God will get your attention. Christ will get your attention. And you would, for, maybe for the very first time, you would actually truly, not just know, but truly believe that you have a soul that can be taken away at any moment and it's going to spend somewhere forever. So I, w- I want you to be sobered up. As, as I've been studying this, I'm not as young as you, but these truths are sobering. These truths are hopefully going to prepare you for eternity. Here's the first truth. Number one, life is short. Life is short, students. Very short. Turn to Psalm 90. Psalm chapter 90. This psalm is written by Moses. Okay, he, he did write a few psalms. This is one of them. And he talks about the brevity of life. If you have um, a title that's added there in your Bible, mine says God's eternity and man's transitoriness. Okay, the brevity of life. That, that life is short. It's brief. That's what he's writing about. Look, uh, just look down to verse 10. Verse 10, here's what Moses says about life. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. Or, if due to strength, 80 years. That's interesting, right, for him to say that. Uh, today, the average life expectancy in the U.S. is 77 years old. I'm uh, halfway there. 77 years old. Moses is saying, okay, life is short, students. You may live till 70 or maybe 80 if you're healthy. Maybe you're on a plant-based diet. Maybe you'll get to 80. Maybe you're on an animal-based diet. You'll get to 80. Maybe you're just pumping yourself with a lot of vitamins and you're, you're avoiding seed oils and all kinds of, of all, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you believe that will make your life go up to 70 or up to 80. He says, It's still short. Very short. Look at what he says. Yet their pride, so you may live till you're 70, you may live till you're 80, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. He's saying your pride, your pride meaning, you know, the proudest time of your life. Okay, you're 70 years old, let's say. Let's just fast forward here for a moment, okay? You're 70 years old, you're 80 years old, and you're looking back at the life that you lived, and you're looking at the, the pride of your life, the proudest time of your life, okay? The, we call it the prime years. Could be your teenage years or your, when you're 20s or, or when you're 30s, when, when you're really strong, really young, really productive. You're looking at that time of your life out of the 70 or the 80 years of your life. Moses says, it's just all about labor and sorrow. If you really think about it. Just work, 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 school, 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 sadness and sorrow, even in the prime of your life. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. At the end of the day, it's all labor and sorrow. Look at, look at the next line. For soon, it is gone. Okay, the, the pride of your life, the prime time of your life, or even you can say the 70 years of your life or the 80 years of, li- of your life, that is gone. 
and he says, we fly away. What is he saying here? Moses is saying life is short. Life is very short. You think about it. You grow up, right? You become a teenager, right? You go to the college where you want to go or the, or the trade that you want to learn, and then you get a career out of that, right? You work for 25, 35, 45 years, right? And within that time frame, you get married, you have kids, you enjoy several fun vacations, then you retire, and then guess what? What's, what's next after that? You're retired, right? You're watching your favorite news, you know, before you go to your doctor's appointment. You know, that's the retired life. <laughs> what's, 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 what's next after that? What are you thinking about? What do you have to look forward to? Moses says, you fly away. You're gone and you fly away. What is he referring to? Your death is next. That's what's next. You look at your life. Yeah, I had prime time years. I was young and strong and I was very productive, accomplished a lot of things. Yeah, I lived till 70 or maybe 80 and you're looking at your life and you're sitting there and you're saying, it's gone. All labor and sorrow. Look at verse 11. Who understands the power of your anger? He, now he's talking about God. Who understands the power of your anger and the fury according to the fear that is due you? So he's saying, right after you die, you meet God. And if you're not prepared for that day because you wasted your life thinking that you will have plenty of time to get right with God, thinking that you will live forever, you've wasted that, you've lost your chance to, to um, give your life to the Lord. You thought you were going to have chances upon chances to do that, to get right with the Lord, to believe the gospel. But you never did what's left, Moses says, what's, what's left for you, if that's you, if you're not a believer and you die. He says what's left for you is God's anger and fury. That's what's left for you after death. And guess what? Before death, do you have chances to get right with God? Before death, do you have time to get right with God? Yes. But after death, do you have a second chance? Do you have time to get right with God? No. What will you experience? God's anger and God's fury. So students, here's the lesson for you. Look at verse 12. This is the lesson that Moses learned. And he lived all the way till he was 110. And here's the lesson that he learned. And here's the lesson that he wants to teach us. Verse 12. So teach us to number our days so that we might present to God a heart that is wise. Wise hearts. Hearts that do not believe that you will live forever. Hearts that do not believe that you will have chance upon chance when it comes to getting right with the Lord. That's the heart that you want to have, a wise heart. And you number your days. You number your days. What does that mean? You don't take every, you, you don't take every day. You don't take any day for granted. Because you don't know. You don't know when death comes and there's no more chance, no more time. Life is short, Moses says. That's sobering, students. Here's another sobering truth that hopefully will prompt you to prepare for eternity. Life is unpredictable. Life is very, very, very unpredictable. Seminary time, right? If you want to stand in the back, wall sit, no shame, do it. 
I know it's early. Go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Life is unpredictable. means you can't predict what's going to happen next. You don't know what's going to happen the next minute, the next hour, the next day, the next month. It's very unpredictable. James chapter 4. James talks about this, starting in verse 13. Just follow as I read this. Verse 13, James says, Come now. Okay, he's like a teacher. Come here, students. Come. Come here. Those of you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Maybe that's not how you uh, think about this. Maybe it sounds more like this. You know, come now, you who say, yeah, today or tomorrow, I will uh, start applying for colleges. And then uh, that college is the one that I, that I really want to get into. I have scholarships lined up for that college. I'll probably be there for two years, you know, I'll probably be there for two years, just knock it out, just gonna knock it out, you know, I'm just, I'm smart, you know, I've got some college credits, so once I go to college, I'll just knock it out, that's just how I am, so two years there, and then after that, uh, I don't know, I'll probably go to, uh, I'll probably come back here, you know, get a career, you know, I, my dad knows somebody, or my mom knows somebody, I know somebody, you know, and I've, I've had an internship there, so I'll, I'll be able to just get a career there. And then probably work there for 30 years, you know, because I'll be making a lot of money um, so that I can retire. And then, then I'll just, you know, just hunt the rest of my life or do fashion the rest of my life. Or maybe uh, 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 this, this new thing that I'm learning this weekend. I, I, I'll be a creator, you know, content creator of YouTube. Maybe I'll just do that the rest of my life. You know, that, that, that's, you know that's what I want to do. Maybe, maybe it sounds like that for you. Now, James is not saying that you shouldn't have goals like those things. James is not saying that you shouldn't have any aspirations. James is not saying that you shouldn't have any plans. He's not saying that. What he's saying here is that you should not arrogantly presume on God. Okay? That you should not arrogantly presume and just say, Yeah, I have plans, God, so, you know, just let me do those things. That's our arrogant presumption. Say, to say, I, wake up to, I woke up this morning, so tomorrow I'll wake up again. That's arrogant presumption. You're presuming on God just because you want to do this or that today or tomorrow. You shouldn't say, I don't need God. I did whatever I wanted yesterday, so I'll do whatever I want today or tomorrow. I'm in total control of my life. I'm the captain of my own ship. I put my, my desire on something, and I just get it like I've always done it. I want to do something. I'll do that just, just like I've always done it. I'm just in control. James says, no, don't presume. Don't presume. Look at verse 14. Yet you do not know. <laughs> That's the sobering truth. Yet you do not know what your life will be like. And interesting, right? He's not saying, yet you do not know what your life will be like, you know, 30 years from now. He says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Again, it's all about unpredictability. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while. And then just like Moses said in, in the psalm, then vanishes away. You fly away. You die and you fly away. Out in the cold, when you, when you breathe out of your mouth, what do you see? 
vapor, right? Condensate, condensation, steam. How long does it last? Maybe a second, right? Maybe a second or two, and then it's gone. James says that's how long your life is in comparison to eternity. Life is short. Life is very unpredictable, James says. Maybe you students are already thinking about tomorrow. Maybe what you're, what maybe you're already making plans. You know, tomorrow, okay, I can't really sleep in. It's Monday, back to school. So I'll just get up. You know, hopefully breakfast will be ready. Uh, it's always ready, so I assume tomorrow it'll be ready. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll feel fine. I'm always healthy. So tomorrow I assume that I'm going to be healthy. And then uh, I'll just go to school. I always get to school safely. So I'll just get to school safely tomorrow. And I'll do some school and then extracurricular activities. You know, we probably have volleyball practice or, you know, some theater or acting or tennis or whatever. And I always excel in those. I always, I always excelled in those. So I'll excel in those tomorrow. And then after that, I'll come home for dinner. Dinner is always ready. I'll just eat with my parents just like we always do. And then maybe I'll just hang out with my friends. Maybe that's what you're thinking about tomorrow. Maybe something to that degree. But James says, you have no idea what your tomorrow is going to be like. You have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. You don't have any idea, James says, what your, what your tomorrow will be like. It's very unpredictable, students. We had plans um, Christmas time this past Christmas. Like we always do, right? Every two years or every three years, we'd go to Florida, see my family, see my in-laws, and just have the best Christmas time with family, just like we always have. So we go to, we go to Florida for Christmas. Next thing you know, the same week, the same week that we were there for Christmas, something very unpredictable. My brother-in-law, who's only 47 years old, an engineer, very smart guy, with a sweet wife, Two kids, always approach life with a positive mindset, but he did not expect that this Christmas was going to be a sad Christmas for him because he's, di- he, he's going to be diagnosed with colon cancer. Very unpredictable. We made plans. Christmas is always fun with family. And, and he thought that was it. Okay, colon cancer. Okay, here's what we're going to do, the doctor says, right? Another unpredictable news after that. Hey, it's, you know, you have spots in your liver. 47 years old, right? Only, only 10 years older than me. Students, you're not in control of anything, even though you're in the prime time of your life, Moses says, you may live till you're 70 or till you're 80. All of that, if you look back, all, all, all of that is just hard work and sorrow. And James says, you're here and then you're gone. James says, you don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. Very unpredictable. You think you'll do this. You think you'll do that because you've always done that. You don't know. You have no idea. So for you, students, to think, okay, to think that you can prepare for eternity tomorrow or later is just complete arrogance, James says. 
It's arrogance to say, I'm young, I'm strong, I've always done what I've always done, so tomorrow it'll be the same thing. I'll have, I'll have tomorrow, I'll, I, I'll have many chances, I'll have time to deal, to deal with God, I'll get right with Him later. James says that's pure arrogance to, to presume on that. He says that in verse 15, look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say... If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. There it is. Arrogant presumption that you'll have plenty of time. All such boasting is evil. You have no idea. Life is very unpredictable. Number three. Number three. Death is unavoidable. Hebrews 9. Death is unavoidable. Hebrews chapter 9, just one verse, verse 27. The writer says this, And in as much as it is appointed. So, this is God's will. This is God's plan. He appoints things. And look at what He appoints. As it is appointed for men. Okay, that's all of us. What's the appointment? To die. That's your appointment. That's my appointment from God Himself. To die once and after that comes judgment. You, uh, you can't predict anything. One thing you can predict. Death. This short verse is saying that no one is going to avoid death. Every single person, okay, has been appointed to die. You, me, your parents, yes, your parents, your grandparents, everyone, your leaders, everyone is going to die. Students, do you think about that? You know, uh, during breakfast, that, that was kind of thrown around for a little bit. And, but seriously, though, do you, do you think about that? Do you think about death? Or do you just ignore it? Do you just ignore it? Is the only time you think about death is when your parents say, oh yeah, I'm, we're, we're going to uh, so-and-so's memorial service tomorrow. She died or he died. And then you kind of get sobered up for five minutes. Is that the only time? Or do you just ignore it? Do you say, I know, I know, everybody dies, but there's no way I'll die soon. I'm too young to die. Are you kidding? I'm too young to die. Yes, I agree, death is unavoidable. I agree, everyone will die. Yes, I agree, that's the one appointment that, that, that's going to happen for all people. But not me, it can't be me. Not yet, I'm too young, I'm too strong. I mean, I have plans. I mean, I'm going to get married one day, I'm going to have a career one day, I want to have kids, and I want to retire, I want to hunt. So it can't be me, it can't be me, can't be me anytime soon. If you think that way, students... If you think, yeah, I agree, but not me. Yeah, it'll happen to me too, but not yet. If you think that way, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. You're not just believing a lie. You're actually believing a lie and lying to yourself. Listen to this. Chadwick Boseman, right? The main actor from Black Panther. Died of cancer. He was only 43 years old. Younger than my, my brother-in-law. Was he strong? Oh, he was strong. 
what what did he have that suit but even without that I'm sure he was pretty strong <laughs> and young died at 43 Aliyah I don't know if you know Aliyah um, maybe, maybe you used to listen to Aliyah Aliyah popular hip-hop artist died in a plane crash after a concert she had a concert in the Bahamas just like she always does hop back on the plane to go back to the US the plane crash how old was she 22 you might be saying okay 43 yeah a lot of people die around that age but I'm not there yet Aliyah 22 what's that five years from you you might say I can see 22 but teenagers this is my prime time I'm young I'm strong Kobe Bryant Basketball player, L.A. Lakers, and his daughter, Gianna, died in a helicopter crash. He was 41 years old, and she was, what, 13. Death is unavoidable. Life is short. Life is very unpredictable. Students, you need to think about this. You need to think about death. You need to prepare for eternity now because death is unavoidable. You, you, you can't. You can. You can ignore the thought of death all you want. You can ignore it all you want. But guess what? At the end of the day, death is still coming for you. That's still coming for me. I don't think about it every day, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to come. And here's the, here's the question, students. Do you know where you're going to go after? You may ignore death, the thought of death. It's still coming, whether you ignore it or not. But how about that question? Do you know where you'll go after death? When there's no more second chance, no more time. Life is short, students. It's unpredictable. Death is unavoidable. Number four, judgment is irreversible. That means you cannot reverse it. Once God makes a judgment on your soul after you die, there's no take back. There's no redo. There's no rewind. Right? You don't have like nine lives like your video games do. There, there's, there's no reversing of God's judgment. There's no, oops, God, sorry, I messed up. Can you, uh, you know, be extra gracious, be extra merciful and just kind of send me back and I'll do better so that Next time I see you, it's not going to be like this. There's nothing like that. It's irreversible. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. This is, this is Jesus telling a story and uh, a parable, a story, and we don't have time to go into all of the details here of this of this parable but i i think you'll get the lesson pretty easily as we go through it look at verse 19 story of the rich man and lazarus verse 19 now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen he was very rich joyously living in splendor every day and a and there's also a poor man named Lazarus. He was laid at, at his gate, covered with sores, 
and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his bones, his sores. Verse 22, Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. This is referring to heaven. Abraham's bosom here is heaven. And the rich man also died, and he was buried. In Hades he went. This man didn't go to heaven. He didn't go to Abraham's bosom. He didn't go to heaven. He went to a different place called Hades. This is where all unbelievers go after they die. And they are, they are suffering there, they're, but they are being prepared for their final destiny, which is called hell. Okay? We don't have time to go into that, but no one is in hell right now. Okay? Um, this is called Hades, the place of the dead. Okay? Unbelievers go there. And then when Jesus Christ comes back, he, he takes those people back. He gives them their bodies and then he takes Satan, right? And then he opens hell and he puts everyone in hell. But even though, even though they're not in hell yet, they're in Hades, they're suffering there. So the, so the, so La, so the rich man went there. Lazarus went to, to heaven, Abraham's bosom. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, this rich man, he lifted up his eyes being in torment and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water to cool off my tongue for I am such deep agony in this flame. So even though it's not final destiny of hell yet, uh, yet, his suffering in there. Verse 25, But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus' bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is this great chasm that is fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able to, and that none may cross over from you where you are to us. What does that mean? It's set. It's set. After, before death, you have time, you have chance, opportunity to get right with God. After death, there's no more. And right after death, there's judgment. And that judgment is set. That judgment is irreversible. That's what's happening here. This is what Jesus is explaining here. Verse, verse 27. And he said, then I beg you, I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. Okay, he can't come to me to, to, uh, to help me with my agony. Okay, fine. Then send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Why? Why would you want me to send him there? In order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. That's sobering, right? It's very likely that there are people in Hades right now suffering for their sins and they're, th and they're thinking about me and they're, they're, and they're thinking about you. They're thinking about their friends and their loved ones and wishing that somebody could come and just warn us. But Abraham said, verse 29, they have Moses, they have the prophets, 
Let them hear them. He's saying they have God's word. God's word says the same stuff. Right? You don't need anybody to go from Hades to here to warn you and say, hey, Hades is real. Hell is real. Punishment is real. Death is unpredictable. Death is coming. Judgment is irreversible. I'm experiencing it right now. So I'm so thankful that, you know, they allowed me to come here just to tell you this because I want you to believe it. You don't need that. You know why? Because you have the Bible. The Bible says the same thing and you should believe it. Verse 30, but he said, no, 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 Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. They will repent. But Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and they do not listen to prophets, if, they, if you do not listen to the Bible, they and you will not be persuaded even if someone arise, rises from the dead. Jesus' point here in this story soon is that judgment is irreversible. When you die, you'll face Jesus Christ right away. Okay? When you die, you'll face him right away. And what is he going to do? He's going to evaluate your life. He's going to evaluate your life. And if you live your life for yourself, if you live your life selfishly, if you live your life to worship yourself, to focus on yourself, all about yourself and you never turned away from your sin and you heard the gospel over and over and over and over again yet you did not turn away from your sin and you never put your trust in Jesus Christ you knew Jesus Christ's life you knew what he did for you on the cross you knew who he was you know what you know you knew what he's done for you yet you never trusted him if that's you once you meet Jesus Christ after death you'll be sent to the same place where the rich man in the story went and there, you'll be separated from God. And there, you'll experience the most horrific torment and agony. And there, you'll cry out for mercy. There, you'll ask for a second chance. There, you'll say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. There, you'll say, give me another chance. There, you'll say, can I just go to my sibling? There, you'll say, can I just go to my uncle? But, but it'll be too late. Irreversible. Too late by then. And how long will that last? Forever. You guys know how long forever is? I don't. Because it's just so hard to fathom. You guys know that, right? We kind of know how long forever is. It's forever. But it's hard to understand. It's on a different category. Eternity, it's on a different category. It's hard to understand. Like something that never ends. just goes on forever. That's how long, that's how long judgment is. So listen, students, when you woke up this morning, did you thank God that you woke up? Or, or was it the arrogant presumption that James talks about? Woke up, when is breakfast? I hope it's cinnamon buns. Tomorrow, if tomorrow comes, if you wake up tomorrow, you ought to wake up and thank God, oh, I have another day. I have another day. And, and when you wake up tomorrow, Lord willing, you wake up and you say, man, I did not have to think about breathing while I was asleep. Yes, I snored a little bit, but I didn't even have to think about that. While I was snoring, I was breathing, and I, I, I was kept alive while I was asleep. 
thank you, God, that you even kept me alive while I was asleep, when I was not thinking about breathing. Do you, do you think about, you know, do you command your heart, you know, your, your, the muscles of your heart, right? Your, your, um, your heart to make sure that it's pumping? Pump, okay. Oh, pump. The, are you in control of that or God just lets that happen? Do you think about that? Your lungs, right? Your diaphragm, that muscle there. I know we all th- think about muscle, you know, our, our biceps, but there are other mus- muscles that are not voluntary and God is in control of those muscles. Do we think, do we thank God for those muscles? Students, you have to thank God that you woke up this morning, that he kept you alive while you were asleep. You need to thank God that you're hearing this sermon that is trying to prepare you for eternity. And you need to thank him. I still have a chance. (laughs) Yes, you're tired. Some of you are sleeping right now, but you still have a chance. You're alive. Okay, you're alive. And your parents have been teaching you the gospel. You know what the gospel is. It's not like you're in the dark, like you didn't know the gospel, like you don't know the gospel and you don't know heaven and hell and you don't know what Jesus Christ has done for you. you, you your life is not like that. You have a good church. You have great leaders who teach you, disciple you. You still have a chance. You're still alive. You still have time to prepare for eternity. Are you thankful for that? So I hope that sobers you up. Life is short, unpredictable. Death is unavoidable. Judgment is irreversible. I told you that I'll give you five. Here's the fifth one. Reconciliation is available. Reconciliation is available. You can say salvation is available. Forgiveness is available. Life in Christ is available. Heaven is available. All that. Students, you can't be believing the lie that I'll deal with eternity later. You can't be thinking that you will have plenty of time to get right with God later. No, you you deal with Him now. You get right with Him now. You prepare for eternity now. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes to the people in the church of Corinth, verse 20. He says this to them. And, and as, you, as you listen and as you follow, as I read, you, you'll, you'll get the, the emotion side of Paul as a pastor, his concern for these people. Verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. An ambassador is someone who speaks for Christ. So Paul is saying, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I speak for Christ. Christ is not physically here. He's not physically talking to you. He's called ambassadors uh, to speak for him. And that's me, Paul says. So imagine, you know, if Paul was here, he would be telling you the same thing that he told the Corinthians. He would be saying to you, I beg you, students, 
I'm making an appeal to you. I'm not just, you know, teaching you something. I'm not just giving you some truth. I'm actually appealing. I'm actually exhorting. I'm actually begging you. It's kind of different. Okay? This is like when your parents sit, sit you down and they say, we're appealing. We're making an appeal. We're begging you. Stop being so whatever selfish or whatever it may be that they really want to address in your life and they sit you down and they and they're saying look at us you know your mom and dad look at us we're begging you we're we're making an appeal please consider this please change your attitude please change your habit that's the same same idea here for paul i'm an ambassador for christ i'm begging you students be reconciled to god be reconciled to God. Why? Why do I need to be reconciled to God? Number one, what does that mean? Well, that means to be reconciled to someone is to be made right with someone and to have a proper and right, peaceful relationship with that someone. Here, it's talking about God. And if you're asking, okay, why do I need to be reconciled? Why do, why do I need to be made right with God? What did I do wrong? Well, if you're, on, if you're not a Christian, you need, to, you need to be reconciled to God you need to be made right with God because the Bible says that you are helpless. Okay? Actually, let me, let me take you there. Okay? I'm not making this up. Go to Romans chapter 5. If you're in 1 Corinthians, just go backwards. The next letter, Romans chapter 5. Why do you need to be reconciled to God? What did you do wrong? Romans chapter 5, verse 6. The Bible says that you are helpless. See that, verse 6? If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, that's you. You're helpless. And secondly, the Bible also says that you are ungodly. Oh, but, you know, my, my parents are Christians. Still ungodly. Oh, but I, I don't do the bad things that my classmates do. You're still ungodly. You're helpless, you're ungodly. And then, verse 8, number 3, you're, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. And then, number 4, down in verse 10, you are an enemy of God. Yes, you may be a lovely young person, a kind young person, a moral young person, but if you are not a Christian, okay, if you are not a Christian, you are an enemy of God. The reason why you're alive, you're alive today is because of God's kindness. Because of God's kindness. Go to Romans chapter 2. Let me, let me show that to you. The reason why you're alive today is not because you're a good person. You're an enemy of God. The reason why you're alive today, listening to this sermon so that you would be prepared for eternity, is because of God's kindness. Verse 4, okay, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you think lightly of the riches of God's kindness? Do you take that for, for granted? Intolerance and patience toward who? Toward you. 
Not knowing that the kindness of God should lead you to repentance. That's what it should do. If you're not a Christian and you woke up this morning, that's what it should do. You should say, thank you, God. You're still so kind to me. I know I'm helpless. I know I'm ungodly. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm an enemy of yours. Yet you're still so kind to me. Why? Because you're so patient with me. Why? Because you want me to repent. You're waiting for me to repent. That's what God is doing in your life. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're asking, man, that's, that's me. The Bible does say it. I'm helpless, ungodly, sinner, enemy of God. The only reason why I'm still alive is because of God's kindness so that I would repent and get right with Him, be reconciled to Him. How is that possible? How is that possible? Verse 21, here's how it's possible. Here's how it is available. Here is the offer of reconciliation. Verse 21, he, that's God, God the Father, made him, that's God the Son, Jesus Christ, he made him what? He made him who knew no sin, he was perfect and sinless, to be sin on our behalf. That means that God took all of your sins all of the sins that you committed, even the ones that you, did, you don't know you committed, okay? God took all of those sins and He placed them on His Son who was sinless and perfect. He put all of those sins on Him as if He Himself had committed those sins. Think about that, right? Even the sins that you like, <laughs> I guess that's sin, you know, that kind of attitude towards sin, even those sins, God the Father placed on His Son, Jesus Christ, as if He committed that sin, all of them. And He took them to the cross and paid for them, died for them for you so that you would be forgiven. Why did He do that? Look at, look at the last line here of verse 21. So that we, so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's how you can be reconciled to God. The only, the only way that you can be reconciled to God is if you receive Jesus Christ's righteousness and all of your sins are put on His place and died for and paid for. That's the only way for you to be reconciled. But listen, it's available to you. Are you alive today? You are. Why are you alive today? The kindness of God. Why is He so kind to you? Because He wants you to repent. He wants you to be reconciled with Him. And did He make a way to do that? Or He's just waiting for you to live a perfect life so that you can make a way for that? No, He provided a way for that. He made His Son who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf so that you might become righteousness. That's reconciliation. Now, if you're asking, how, how can I receive that gift of reconciliation? If you're thinking, okay, I don't want to believe that lie anymore, that I will have time, plenty of time to deal with eternity, to prepare for eternity. If you're saying, I don't want to believe that lie anymore. I know that life is short. I know that life is very unpredictable. I know that death is unavoidable. I know that once death happens, judgment is irreversible. I know that. Reconciliation, salvation, forgiveness of sin is available. How do I really get serious? How, how do I really get sobered up with my soul? 
How do I receive that? Very simple, students. Number one, first step is repentance. You want that gift of reconciliation, gift of forgiveness of all of your sins, gift of salvation. Repent. What is repentance? It's to turn away from your sin. To turn away from your sin. It's for you to go to God today, not tomorrow, to go to God today and pray to Him and ask Him to forgive you of all of your sins, all of your selfishness, all of your self-love, all of your self-worship. You take all those things to God and you ask Him to forgive you. And you ask Him to change you from the inside out so that you can start turning away from them, so that you could leave those things behind. That's what you do. What else do you do? Secondly, you believe. You believe. This is to trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in what? Well, you need to trust that His perfect life and His sacrificial death is what's going to save you. Not your good deeds. Not your Christian parents. Not your Christian school. Not your Christian curriculum. Not because you've done less bad and more good. Those things are not going to save you. You can't put your trust in those things because if you do that, if you put your trust in those things, if you believe in those things, and then death comes, and then judgment comes, and then you say to Jesus, Hey, my, Christ my parents were Christians. Hey, I went to a Christian school. Hey, I had Christian curriculum. Hey, I did, I did more good than bad. Hey, I was better than my classmates. So we're reconciled, right? And Jesus will say, no, not good enough. What do you mean not good enough? I was so much better than my brother. I was even so much better than my dad. What do you mean not good enough? And Jesus will say, well, I demand perfection. I demand perfection. And who lived the perfect life? Jesus did. And that's what he's offering you. So that's what you believe. That's what you put your trust in, in Jesus Christ, his perfect life, the life that you could not live, his sacrificial death, the death that you could not die for. That's what's going to save you. You put your trust in that 100%. You put all of your eggs, even if... Eggs are very expensive right now. Put all of your eggs in that one basket. You don't say, well, maybe I'll put half of it, half of it in, in that. You know, maybe I'll trust Jesus Christ half. And, but the second half, I, I really want to keep trusting myself that I'm good enough. No. Everything. Everything you put in Christ. Students, if you do that, you'll be saved. Right? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful, faithful to forgive us. He's faithful. You do that, you repent of your sin, you turn from it, you believe Jesus Christ, you put all your trust in Him, you'll be saved, and that's all you have to do. The only thing that you need to do to prepare for eternity. Again, I don't know. I don't know when that transition will happen for you from from this life now whether it's 18 or or 70 or 80 to the transition to eternity i don't know when that will happen but you better prepare now that's how you prepare for it jesus has done it for you
and it's a free offer for you. Don't wait till tomorrow. Just because you're young, just because you're strong, just because you're beautiful, just because you have all these plans, just because you have all these privileges of life, don't arrogantly presume. The kindness of God is what's keeping you here. And he's saying, I'm so kind to you. I'm so patient with you. Why? Not because you're a good person. Why? Because I want you to be made right with me. And I've done that for you. Let me close our time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are sobered. Very sobered. Maybe this morning is the very first time for some students to be sobered, to think about eternity, to think about judgment, to think about death, to think about the unpredictableness of life. And that's a grace from you. You want to get our attention because you created us. We deserve to give you all of our attention. We should want to deal with our souls. We should want to deal with, with where we're going to go after, after this life. So I thank you for whatever work you are already doing in the students' li- in students' hearts. I pray, Father, that they would respond. I pray that they would repent, that they would believe. I pray that they would be thankful, very thankful that they woke up, very thankful that their hearts are beating, very thankful that they're breathing, because that all of that, all of that is straight from your kindness. Straight from your kindness. Just so kind. We're helpless, we're ungodly, we're sinners, we're your enemies, yet you're so kind to us that you would keep, keep us alive so that we would have time that we would have the opportunity to repent and believe so that we can be made right with you. I pray that you would just just plant that deeply in the hearts of these students that you that they would really take that to heart that they would really think about it and that they would have the desire to respond. Thank you for for this weekend. Thank you for the clarity of your word, how piercing it is, like Hebrew says, how, how sharp it is, and it's exposing everything, and it's exposed us for, for, for these past few days, and we're thankful for that. We pray that we would go home um, more focused on Christ, less distracted, serious about our souls, and loving Jesus Christ for what he's done for us. So bless our our time here, the next couple hours, and we look forward to going home to be with our families so we can just tell them all the great things that you have done, all the great things that you have taught us. Thankful for all these students. Uh, Just like Paul, I'm an ambassador for you, and I I beg them and I appeal to them. It's because I love them. And I pray that they would be blessed and that they would be made right with you. And that's all for your glory, all for your pleasure. In Christ's name, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.